0: I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe God wants to visit us. When we were in India a few years ago, and when you go to India, it's 1.1 billion people, and, and it's quite intimidating if you look at the stats, the number of Christians compared to the number of the rest of the nation. And when we went there, you know, it's like, what, now what, <laughs> okay, God, what can we do? What can, how can we change, how can we make a dent on the darkness in this nation? And I remember just two days before we went, I saw this powerful vision of a, of a tsunami, a glowing tsunami, Holy Spirit wave coming from the West, hitting India and washing the darkness of India. And it gave me so much faith. So we went in there and we impacted churches and people. And, and I realized that for God, that is completely possible. For God to do that, it is completely possible. But what so often happens to us, you know, we, we tend to look at the darkness. And the more you stare at the darkness and the issues and the problems and what's going wrong, and the next thing that Jacob Zuma did, then what's the result? Anybody? What's the result of staring at the darkness? You lose your faith, you get distracted or angry or whatever, but you, you actually don 't have the capacity to change your environment because you 've allowed the environment to define your your, your mindset your, your your atmosphere and so I, I, I realize we need to look at the greatness of our God. we need to continuously look at him, thinking of someone like Smith Wigglesworth that that made an impact on on, in, his, in his time, the 1940s and, and earlier, made a big impact. And I, I read the article, one of the guys who wrote about his life, and he said the one day he came to Smith, Smith's house, and he, you know, he had these, the guy coming, had the newspaper under his arm, and so he's coming to enter, and Smith opened the door, and he said, take that off my property. <laughs> the newspaper. <laughs> Because Smith said, I'm not going to allow that nonsense to defile my levels of faith. So I'm not saying don't read the newspaper. I'm just saying don't read it more than you read your Bible. You know, and it's sometimes good to know what the devil is doing and what God is doing. So yes, read the newspaper every now and again. But I have found when I read, the, I'm, I'm in good space, and uh, you know, I take the newspaper and I start reading page one. By the time I'm on the last page, I have no more faith. Because it influences you. The things we read and it influences us. But God wants to come and actually turn cities and nations and communities around. But we need faith for them. And over the last while, I felt God saying there is a visitation. God is coming. God is coming. A next level coming. It's like this. It's like a, a Holy Spirit tsunami. Fresh water. Beautiful Washing over a nation, over a city, over a community. But at this stage, we have some nice waves going as well. Holy Spirit waves, not a tsunami. But now you can fall into the trap of saying, I'm a surfer. I want to only ride the big one. I want to ride the big one. So you sit on the beach and you don't ride the little waves. But when the big one comes, you want to jump on your board and take it. Will you be able to? you probably fail. You probably won't work. And I think that sometimes people that pray for revival, it's like, one day Jesus is going to come. One day he's going to turn things around. But until that time, we lock ourselves in our rooms and we hide away and we pray. But we won't be ready when the when the true move of the Spirit, that the next level move of the Spirit comes. We need to get ready. We need to get our surfboards out. And we need to get onto the, the waves that are coming. Now we need to... This is for all the surfers in the house. I'm speaking your language. We need to get out on our boards and we need to train. We need to get equipped in the things of the Spirit so that when that's this absolutely sovereign move of God comes, you know, like a big, massive wave, like once in 20 years, there's all the, all the, the weather patterns are perfectly right for this massive, massive set of waves to come through. I believe there's a massive set of waves coming through that will impact the nations of the earth. So look at this. If you look at the stats, 2.3 billion Christians on the face of the earth, according to the stats, out of 7 billion. If I'm really generous, 50% of the 2.3 billion are real Christians. I think I'm very generous now. But let's say there's a 1 billion Christians on the face of the earth out of 7 billion Do you think Jesus will come back now? Do you think Jesus will say, Ah, well, we didn't make it, but hey, let's close time. (laughs) Let's finish it up. And, and, And he would just let go of the other six billion? I don't think so. But you know, there's a move in the Christian church. There's a move across the world saying continuously, It's just getting worse and worse. And worse, hide away. Buy some extra supplies. ISCOM is gonna bomb out. Well, that's maybe, maybe, maybe ISCOM is gonna bomb out. I don't know, but uh, but there's still hope. (laughs) It's not the end of the world. But there's this move of saying it's it's the end. It's all going worse and worse and worse and worse. I'm telling you, I believe it's not going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. I believe there's a tsunami of God's grace coming to hit the nations of the earth. And a massive end-time harvest is going to come in. Where people will turn to Christ like we have never seen. And history shows us there was times and seasons where God moved. The Great Awakenings, the Welsh Revival, other revivals where nations turned to God. But if you position yourself in the wrong place, if you position yourself in the space that it's just going to get worse... Then you will have no faith. I will not position myself, and I don't believe we as a church should position ourselves in that space at East London and the Eastern Cape. is just going to go worse. So just let's save for a rainy day. Now, I believe God wants to impact the city, He wants to impact this community in the Eastern Cape, and He wants to get us ready. Get ready. Get ready, something's coming. So I'm going to speak to you about the Spirit-empowered church. Look at this verse in Isaiah 60. So I'm going to share with us to to get the right perspective in terms of the days we are in. Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3, it says, for me, this is what the end times, this is what, what, if you want to sum it up, what's happening across the world right now, this is it. This is the word of God. Arise, people of God, and shine, for your light has come. Jesus has come. At Calvary, we have won it. So arise because of that. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Doesn't that sound like a wave? (laughs) A wonderful tsunami wave rising upon you. Living waters For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness to people. Yes, absolutely. We don't deny it. Deep darkness covering the people, multitudes. But the next verse, deep darkness to people. Then the next verse says, but the Lord will arise over you. Verse 3, verse 3, move to verse 3, verse 3, but say, but. (laughs) But, so yes, there's darkness. Yes, it doesn't look good. It it, it seems to be going worse morally, etc. But not so. The Lord says, but the Lord will arise over you. The Lord will arise over you. There's a move of God coming. He will arise over you. And His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It's time to shine. It's not time to hide away. It's never been time to hide away. It's time to shine. Who would like Jesus, the son of God, to visit his or her house? Anybody. You, wanna, you want him to walk into, I mean, the, Jesus, the miracle worker, son of God, come into your house, into your bedroom there. Yes, I mean, imagine Jesus walking right now through those doors. <laughs> Sorry, let's all focus. at uh, Jesus for a moment. <laughs> Jesus coming through those doors, walking into this church. It would rock our world. He would rock our world. Now the good news is this: 2 Corinthians 3 says, "The Lord, Jesus, is the Spirit." And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because Jesus is there through his spirit. And I believe this is what the Spirit-empowered church is about. The Spirit-empowered church is a a, a church where the Spirit of God is manifestly, tangibly present. So I'm going to share a few stories with you about a visitation. Visitations of the past in the Bible, but also in in history that turned the world around. But the Gentiles shall come to your light. If the glory of God rests upon us, they will come. They will come. They will be impacted. So look at this. Acts chapter 1. Give you a quick background. I want to take you to Acts chapter 1, a few verses. Acts chapter 2, a few verses. Give you an example of of a visitation. So... Jesus gives some background, okay? So Jesus is, he was crucified, he was risen from the grave. The disciples were stoked, they were so excited. to They thought it was all over and then, yes, Jesus, he's back. And then Jesus started to speak to them and he spoke to them in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. And this gives the context of everything the early church did, it was by the power of the Spirit. They'd say it, by the power. Let's say it again, by the power of the Spirit. Everything the early church did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything. And it started off here in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. Being assembled together with them, he, that's Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptised with water, but you shall be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, you shall be baptised. You shall be immersed in the Spirit. It's like there's a guys Jesus is saying, "Guys, there's a wave coming, and it's gonna, it's going you're gonna, it's gonna immerse you." Of my a wave of the Spirit that is coming, and he and he told his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem to receive this visitation. That will change everything. Now in Acts chapter 1 verse 67. Fascinating two verses. It says, Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, this Jesus, asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now this for me is fascinating. Okay, so Jesus is saying, guys, there's a wave of the Spirit coming. They respond and they say, Jesus, so when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When? Now, in a modern day context, it's like, okay, Jesus, when's the end times? Jesus, who's the Antichrist? Jesus, (laughs) when that earthquake happened, was that God judging the nations? Jesus, when will these things happen? We want to know the kingdom. When is it going to be established on the earth? And so they were almost like a little bit distracted. And you see in the next verse, I'll read in a bit, but he said, no, focus. Now, there's a fascinating move uh, across the world, and I'm re- I read a few articles this week. And uh, I think it's almost like a bit of a trap, a distraction, but can also lead to deception. A distraction that can lead to deception. The whole end times topic, who is the Antichrist? Barack Obama, they say, is the Antichrist. But he's almost finished his uh, presidency. So, is he the Antichrist? And two presidents ago were also the Antichrist, and everything happens in America. So, anyway, so it's... <laughs> Unfortunately, the Americans think that they are the center of everything. So, all Scripture points to their scenario, etc. But you can read some of the articles. It's fascinating. But it's interesting that the disciples were asking these questions, and so many Christians are asking these questions. God, what happened? And when, what is it? I mean, 2012, we had an end times thing. It was the end of the world. 2012 was the end of the world, and it wasn't. But look at this, Matthew 24, verse 6. I don't know if I have it on screen. Yes, I have. Okay, it says, Jesus speaking about the end times, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you... Are not troubled. That's a profound bit there. You will hear, you will see, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. So, Jesus is saying there will be pestilences, there will be earthquakes. There were lots of stuff will be happening. It's not necessarily the end. What do we normally do? There's an earthquake or a tsunami in Indonesia. Oh, God is judging them. Those sinners. Now, if we're honest, now if God had to start judging every nation that sinned, we'd all be dead. Praise God, we're not on an earthquake fault line in South Africa, so it's been going well. But again, everything happens in America, you know, so it's all judgment and things. I don't think it's judgment. I just think this is a sin-sick world. So there will be earthquakes, there will be famines, there will be wars, there will be people killing people. This is the scenario. Jesus said, see that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. I see this over and over again. People, there's there's books coming out, and I mean, it's exciting. But September, this year, September, the American economy is going to collapse. September, 13th of September, they say. Now, if we look at history, I've been reading a little bit on Wikipedia. Let's go. You can search it up for yourself. Uh, Prophecies concerning the end of the world. Now, over the last 40 years, there have been more than 50 people that said it's the end of the world. We're still here. The previous 1,500 years, there was, an, was more, more than 200 people over the last 2,000 years have said it's the end of the world. Jesus is coming back now. And when we hit the nice round number, whoa, 500 after Christ, they were stoked. Jesus is coming back. 1,000 after Christ, absolutely this is it. <laughs> Go read it for yourself. Then 666 years after Islam started, the Pope said, that's a sign. This is the time that Jesus is coming back. That's what 1,300 after Christ or something like that. And the funny thing is, our dates are out. Jesus was probably born 4 BC. <laughs> so 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 2012. 2015, the four blood moons. Yay, I don't know if you've read about the four blood moons. Whenever people start looking at numerical things in the scriptures, or specific dates, or even prophecies and visions and whatever else, about when something cataclysm is going to happen, it doesn't happen. Is it just me that gets a bit worked out up about it? Because it works Christians into a frenzy. And we start selling our things and we start freaking out. And then Jesus said, see that you're not troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Get to the main thing. You see, the end times things can be a distraction, but it can lead into a deception. Deception. Because what happens is, and I've I've, I've counseled people over the last while that got involved in things. and was all the end times things. There's only 144,000 going to heaven. And only we know actually what's going on. Everybody else is wrong. And they're like, and you fell for it. Hey, you know, it's like, it's rubbish, (laughs) you know. Get to the main deal. Get to the main thing. What is the main thing? Are we spirit empowered? Are we distracted? If the American economy collapses in September, I will apologize. Okay. But history's on my side. <laughs> history's on my side. It's probably not going to happen. And I've been in the church long enough. Every year, people come with this is it? This is the end times. Oh, the Antichrist, it's him. Well, next president? Ah, no, nah, it's him. Rosett. it. I love what someone said. I don't, he said, I don't believe it's just going to get worse and worse. I think it's going to be better and better and better. And if, if I'm wrong, I will be the happiest Christian ever eaten by the beast. <laughs> I'm going to be the happiest Christian ever. When he comes and he hasn't after 2,000 years. He hasn't. Anyway, so this is just my my personal opinion and my request for us as a church. Let's get focused on the main thing. Because the enemy wants to distract us. Life wants to distract us. Work us into a frenzy about nonsense. Let's get focused. Okay, but there's some wonderful, wonderful things. Acts 1 verse 8. So Jesus says, guys, it's not for you to know when. Let it go. Then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Spirit-empowered witnesses. Witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The very purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is to empower us to be witnesses. Spirit-empowered witnesses witnesses that's the that's the main thing that's the main thing so it's like Jesus saying guys stop being distracted stop looking in the wrong direction stop looking and being distracted with all these things let's get with the main thing the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to is to love people Um, hope you don't mind Nigel I want to share your story from a men's camp if that's okay. <laughs> but Nigel is in, in, in our life group and he shared it with us the other day. At the men's camp, the guys went out. They prayed. They had these treasure map thingies. And they prayed and they asked the Holy Spirit to show them someone that's on God's heart. And the guys were freaked out well. It's a good place. Desperation gets you ready for the power of God. And so they went onto the streets, and Nigel, as I remember correctly, he had a few things. He saw in his mind's eye a picture of a bridge or a guy under the bridge or next to the bridge, and the guy was on his haunches. And it was a black guy, but he had brown hair, which was interesting. Is that correct? Brown hair. Brown hair. Okay, just brown hair. Okay. And you also saw a, a, a brown vehicle to the side, and you also felt that the guy was depressed or... Hurting, depressed, and so forth. So anyway, so they went out. It was Jimmy and Nigel going out. And, uh, and so went to the bridge, spoke to someone, went to, next to the bridge. It wasn't there. They went off walking. When they came back, there was a guy on his haunches. It was a black guy, but it was brown hair, peroxided hair. And, uh, and later they found there was a car, the brown car next to it as well. Spoke to the guy and said, we think this is you. You're the, you're the, you are treasure." And, and, and are you depressed and broken? Are you, are, are you? And, and the guy admitted that, that that's him. And, and I think the guy said that he was raped on the streets. And, uh, and they could point to him and tell him, look at this, what God showed us. He knows your name and he loves you. That is the very purpose of the Holy Spirit, to show people that he loves them. Jesus loves you. Now, if we look at the next, I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 2. But the whole thing about the purpose, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? It's to empower us to be witnesses, to see people's lives turned around. I was reading a book recently uh, by the uh, author John Wimber. And he said, is He's is the, is the, the founder of the Vineyard Church movement, so about 1,500 churches today. Beginning 1980s, is a church in California. They had a visitation from God. There were about 700 or 800 people in the church. And that evening, there was a guy who was visiting speaker, Lonnie Frisbee. He came out of the hippie movement. He came to Christ during that time. So they, were, they had an evening service, and the guy said, okay, Everybody under 25, come forward. So all the young people, everybody under 25 came forward. And then he said, Holy Spirit, come. A few other things as well, but he mainly said, Holy Spirit, came. And the power of God came into the building and impacted people unbelievably. Like something they've never experienced before. The end result was, within three months, they baptized more than 800 people. Within three months. Within three months, those young people went into the schools and where even led people to Christ. And John Wimber says in his own swimming pool, they baptized something like 800 people when the presence of God came, when, the, when, when they had a visitation. That is a visitation. That is a visitation. And out of that church, they, they birthed in basically 1,500 churches. But it started in 1980 because of that, because of the move of the Spirit. So let's look at this just quick. I'm going to take you to a few verses in Acts chapter two, just highlight a few things about the power of the Spirit. It says Acts chapter two, verse one: When the day of Pentecost had fully come, now this is a tsunami visitation. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. They appeared to them, divided tongues as a fire, and, uh, and sat upon each of them. Just like a, a crashing wave of the praise of God, like a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house. Verse 4. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Say filled. Filled. So they, they physically they were filled with the Holy Spirit. began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Isn't it amazing? Amazing. The moment the Holy Spirit came upon these people, they started to speak in other human languages, all the languages of the known world, revealing the heart of God. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit because the nations of the earth is on my heart. People of the earth on my heart. Going cross-cultural is on my heart. I want you to break out of your environment. I want you to impact those of other languages and other nations. And for me, that's why planting in Southernwood for me is so powerful. I'm trusting it's going to be a multicultural church in Jesus' name. Going across boundaries and borders and impacting people of different cultures. Verse 6 and 7. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. A multitude came together. The heart of God is a multitude, not just one or two multitudes. And then beyond that, it says, and each one heard the message in their own language. So that was physically, literally like different language. But I believe when the Holy Spirit works through you and me, we start speaking people's language. You start supernaturally speaking the message that people, it's like, I mean, I hear this often. People tell me you were speaking only to me, but there were 200 people in the room, but I heard as if it was not you, but it was God speaking to my heart, hearing their own language. And then in verse 14, so they had this incredible things are happening. People are like amazed that I don't know what to do with all of this. They said, but, but. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So let's think about this. We have a move of the Spirit that draws a crowd of multitudes. Thousands of people come. There's fire on their heads. They're speaking in other languages. So there are miracles happening. You would think, this is an epic service. Yeah. We had miracles, we had incredible things happening, high fives, boom, let's go home. It rocked. No. Then Peter got up and said, guys, listen to me. Heed my words. This is Jesus. So he got up and he, spirit-empowered preaching. He got up and he said, now listen to my words. Miracles are not enough. Signs and wonders are not enough. There needs to be a message. Jesus is doing this and he loves you. Acts two, twenty-one. the outflow, of the Old Testament prophecy, saying that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all these things will be happening. And in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because I've, the, the end result, the, the ultimate goal of the pouring out of the spirit is so that people will come to Christ. So do people realize he is the living God. He's true. He's real. He's alive. That it will impact their hearts and their lives. That is the main mission. How many, how many church movies, You read some church history, and you read about how most of them, all, all of them basically started, most of them started like in the power of the Spirit. I mean the Methodists, John Wesley incredible wild things happened at the planting of the methodist church for instance just one of the but but most church movements started in the power of the spirit but over time over time we lose the fire we lose the passion and then you can have a different visitation you can get a different visitation like in revelation chapter 2 jesus said to the ephesian church you've left your first love You've left your first love. Repent. Or I will visit you. I will remove your lampstand. And your lampstand is the legitimacy to being a church. So you have buildings, you have people, but you have no spirit. You have no life, necessarily. I remove your lampstand. And so, for me, that's one of the keys. For us to be a spirit-empowered church, each one of us needs to have a passionate, intimate Love for Jesus. Where are you at? How's your relationship with Jesus? How's it going? Do you get up in the mornings and you oh yes, I'm so excited. I'm gonna get my Bible out. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna read about the one I love with all my heart. How's your love? How's your love levels? It's a good sign of what's happening on the inside. Where's the fire? Is there fire? Let me ask this question. Anyone ever been in love with any person, human being? Human being love. Been in love with a person? Come on, if you have, raise your hand. Okay. What was the result of that human love on you? What was the result? Made you a little bit crazy, I know. Christians sometimes look a little bit crazy as well. But it affected you. It's like you—you you had a busy program before that moment. I'm thinking, I don't have time, her Clinton. I don't have time for a woman in my life. I am busy. I have. My, I am a busy man. And then, Clinton, and then love happens. Love happens. Love grips you. And your knees go jelly. I promise you, you're going to make time. You're going to make time. Like, I've got so much time. What are you doing tonight? I'm there. You're going to make time. Because something's drawing you, pulling you. I just just want you to be married, brother. (laughs) I release that over you. Uh, in Jesus' name. Okay. Open season. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My wife's going to give me a my wife's give me hiding. <clears throat> Stop it. Okay. But it might be the Holy Spirit. Might be the Holy Spirit speaking. I hope so. But the effect of being in love is that you make time. You can't help yourself. It's like, I want to be... With this person. That's having a first love. And I think the danger is for any Christian. Especially when we've been in it for a while. Is that it, you stagnate. You lose that first love. And we must seek him just for who he is. With all our hearts. We must love him. How's your first love? I want to I give an opportunity this morning. For us who've lost our first love. To, to turn to the Lord. But before I do that I want to. I want to show, show you a video clip. There's a lady called Erin Campbell. who She was an atheist, a militant atheist that met with Jesus. Just beautiful story of how God impact her, impacted her with street preacher and in another scenario as well. Okay, let's show it. Seven never minutes. Told my
1: parents. So I kept it hidden. And I had a very um, a, a strong awareness of what shame was.
2: Erin Campbell was only seven when she was molested for the first time. The abuse continued into her teens. Ashamed, she never told a soul.
1: So what I longed for was the very thing I never knew existed, and that was love.
2: As a teenager, she was insecure and often bullied in school.
1: To numb the pain, I, I discovered early on alcohol alcohol gave me a sense of belonging and it gave me a, it dropped all inhibitions and gave me a a sense of purpose i guess in a, in a in a crowd i could be the person i always wanted to be and i couldn't be when i'm sober
2: even with her newfound popularity she didn't feel loved
1: i became promiscuous you add alcohol and drugs then i became fun but I also became an easy target for men and and a seducer of men.
2: As much as she yearned for love, she was convinced she would never find it from God. Her father was an atheist who taught her faith in God was foolish. Her mother, a Mormon, had been shunned by members of her church years before.
1: I equated God with that treatment. And I was thinking If God would reject someone like that, if God lived and he existed, I would reject him.
2: In college, Erin majored in philosophy, which fueled her hatred of God. She used her newfound knowledge to confront people of faith.
1: I would look for Christians. I would look for Mormons. I would look for anyone who had a a faith, and I would sit down with them and, and... Began the conversation, and as I began to share my militant views of God, then they would debate back with me. I knew exactly what to say to get them to lose the argument and get up and walk away. And so that became sport for me.
2: Aaron's friends saw her as confident, fun, and overall happy. But in reality, she'd become an alcoholic and was spiraling into depression.
1: I remember sitting at a party once, and somebody said, let's go around the room and talk about the best feature, your best feature. I couldn't think of a single thing that I liked about myself. Nothing. Nothing.
2: After graduating, Erin went into marketing. One of her business trips took her to Bourbon Street, New Orleans. There, she tried to draw a street preacher into a debate, but he wouldn't bite.
1: I began to debate everything and counter everything that he said. And he turned to me and he looked at me and there was a crowd around us. And he looked at me and he said, darling, he said, you don't have to do that. I saw love for the very first time. Usually people debate back. I had never heard this before. I thought you had to be good to go to heaven. And I blew that a long time ago. He says, you're just looking for your long-lost love, that's all. And his name is Jesus.
2: Erin couldn't stop thinking about what the preacher said. Then six months later, she was drunk in a bar when she saw a poster advertising a Billy Graham crusade.
1: And I remember just looking at that banner, and I, I told the bartender, I said, I feel like I should go to that. Isn't that weird? And she looked at me, and she looked at how much I had to drink, and she looked at me again and she says, well, maybe you should.
2: The next day, Erin made her way to the stadium.
1: I sat down, and Billy Graham came out, and he gave the same exact message that I had heard six months before, that God is love, and that He loves us for who we are. That sounded so simple. And so wonderful, I felt immediately that love wrap around me, the same love that I experienced six months before on Bourbon Street. And Billy said, you just come, come forward. God will receive you just as you are. There's a little voice inside that says you ought to come. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. You come. There were 60,000 people there, and thousands of people were filing forward and going down to the stadium floor. And fear immediately entered my heart. I knew that there had to be some kind of a scam around this.
2: Erin ran out of the stadium. But as she left, she heard Reverend Graham pray. It was the Lord's Prayer.
1: And now even an atheist has heard those words before. That was the only thing that was familiar to me. And I remember stopping and listening to those words. And as he says, on earth as it is in heaven, my knees started to buckle and I knew I was going down. I had no strength at all in my body. And I grabbed a hold of that chain link fence just to soften the fall. And everything from within me began to overflow. All the shame, all the pain. I gave him all of my sin. I gave him all my decisions. I gave him who I was, and I stood to my feet that day, and I remember wiping my face and looking around, and I was a believer. Everything changed from that day forward.
2: Erin started learning the truth about Christ. She found a church and, with help, overcame her addiction to alcohol. Today, she is happily married to Matt. And by the way, Erin says she has more reasons to celebrate
1: My mother and my father both accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we were all baptized together. My sister, who was a militant atheist as well, has since come to know the Lord, and now my brother knows the Lord.
2: As a Bible teacher, conference speaker, and national radio host, Erin is confident in the love that God has for her.
1: I met Jesus Christ as my deliverer. He saw me right where I was. And he will see you exactly where you are. God is not mad. And there's nothing that you can do to earn that love because that love is already there.
0: Isn't that beautiful? I once went to uh, Billy Graham's son's uh, outreach in Cape Town, I think it was a Newland Stadium. And I was one of the facilitators, I think I was a Christian, a year or two old in the, in the Lord, and I, I was one of the counselors. And I remember sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, it's a nice message, oh, really, Not, not a lot of sparks and fireworks and everything. But I remember when I got up and I walked forward with all the other people that turned to Christ, when I went, when, when I went to stand there in the front with those who came to the Lord, the presence of God was thick. It was like, whoa. God is here. God is here. His spirit was here because his spirit is about leading people to him. And we need, we need to get that. We need to understand that. So I want to read this, this verse. I'm going to end off Acts chapter 2, verse 37. So the apostle Peter, he preached. He preached to the Jews, the thousands that were there, and he told them, this is Jesus. And this is the one, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and you killed him. And then he say, and it says there, but now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I, I, I shared last week about deep conviction. And the Apostle Paul said, my, my message to you didn't just come with words, it was more than words. It came with power, it came with the Holy Spirit, and it came with deep conviction. And here it says they were cut to the heart. In other words, they realized, this is us. We have done this. I am that sinner. I, I have turned away from the Lord. I am the one that, is, that has lost my first love. That's me. And it says, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Because there's something you need to do. Then Peter said to them, repent. And I turn turned away from your previous lifestyle. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So turn away from your previous lifestyle. Turn to Jesus, the lover of your soul, the one who loves you with everything within him. And then be baptized. This is how to be born again. So you you turn to Jesus. You put your trust like like Aaron did. Went on her knees. The Holy Spirit took her to her knees. And then she became a believer. And she says, everything changed. She was baptized in water. And then it says here, and baptism represents that death, dying to self, being risen to Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is for everyone. A visitation. You have big visitations, like a tsunami that influence a city in a region. Then you have... Mini visitations, and it all comes down to the mini visitation, where Jesus comes and he knocks at your door. Revelation chapter 3, I stand at the door and I knock. Everyone, everyone who hears my voice and opens, I will come in and I'll come and be with him. And so, I want, I want to hold this before you. Every one of us can have a visitation from God, a visitation from Christ but we need to do as Aaron did. Wherever we on that spectrum, where we might find ourselves in our relationship with God, we need to ask ourselves, have I lost my first love? Is it a schlep to read the Bible? Is it a, is it a burden to spend time with Jesus? You've lost your first love. Something's not right.